Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and we've been working our way through the track sessions from last year's Disciple Making Forum. And up next, we have track sessions coming up from Renew.org. But these are special sessions because they were given to us by the Renew.org women. They spoke to us about the importance of having correct theology, making disciples in women's ministry, handling conflict, being pastor's wives, and listening to the Holy Spirit, and walking in obedience. These were some great talks that they gave us, so I encourage you to check them all out and to share them with the people in your life that you believe will benefit from them. Renew exists to renew the teachings of Jesus in order to fuel disciple making, so make sure you put renew.org on your list of resources to help you follow Jesus and make disciples. All right, y'all, let's jump into the episode. Hey guys, I'm Megan, and I am so excited to be here. Michelle was talking about how she is still growing tomatoes. I planted them with the uh, correct Farmer's Almanac information, with the expensive soil that promised it would come up, and they did not even, the green part did not even get green. It stayed yellow and died. And I say it stayed yellow because when it popped out of the soil, it was yellow. (laughs) So I am not a gardener, but I am. I was born in West Virginia and um, raised in Southern Ohio. So I like to tell people that I am what they call a sophisticated hillbilly, a hill William, if you will. Um, The difference in sophisticated hill Williams and the hillbillies is that I wear shoes and have teeth. That's it. The rest of it, I have the uh, Appalachian culture. I'm glad you laughed at that because when you're a little Southern, you never know if that joke's going to go okay or not. (laughs) You just don't know. Um, I uh, am married to the most attractive pastor I've ever met in my entire life, and I tricked him right into it. And I have a stepson who's at college, so um, everyone's like, you have a son in college? You look so great. And I don't tell them that he's my stepson because I like to hear compliments about how my moisturizer is working so well. (laughs) Um, I have two puppies. Do do we have dog lovers in here? But don't worry because I hate when women's ministers talk about animals and kids to give examples for things. Just teach me the Bible. So I'm getting this out of my system now so that I don't have to do it while I'm presenting stuff to you, okay? Um, Their names are Bogey and Bacall because I'm an old movie lover and I think Humphrey Bogart's the coolest. And uh, that's pretty much sums it up. Uh, And I do want to acknowledge my friend Susie Booth. Would you stand up and just wave? This is my buddy Susie. My um, husband and sister both could not make this trip with me last minute. So I called her, and she is an active member of the church, and I tricked her into coming. So I'm a great trickster, is what I'm trying to say. Um, So excited. Uh, Like Michelle told you guys, um, I went to a women's Bible study, and they told me, that uh, Rahab was a great example of the Proverbs 31 woman. And I said, okay, you know what? Show me, because I'm not seeing it, right? I'm not seeing it, but I, I am open to this. And they said, well, first of all, she works with her hands. And I was like, not the way God wants us to, right? And it was a continuation of this pre Um, before God conversion, Rahab, that they were comparing her to the Proverbs 31 woman. They were using scripture prior to her conversion. And it made me angry, like a righteous anger. And the whole crux of this Bible study is um, God will use you no matter what. You might not be qualified, but God will use you. And I said, no, that is no who. Yes, God will use you, but that's not an excuse to stay in this state of like sinful nature, knowing that God can use anything, right? Amen? Okay, that's like my biggest pet peeve is when God's like, you don't have to be qualified. I'm like, that's fair. Let me ask you a question. Um, who did God use that was not qualified, that he did not qualify prior to using? And an immediate response is Moses. Moses led an entire nation out of Egypt. And I said, after being raised by Pharaoh, a leader of a nation, let that sink in for a minute. Well, David fought Goliath as a young man. 
The Bible literally tells us that he fought bears and lions with his bare hands. God qualifies us and then he uses us. It might not be in the way that we think we should be qualified or we might not even realize we're being qualified, but do not be mistaken. He is preparing you for what you're supposed to be doing, okay? That needs to be very clear before we get started, okay? Now, qualification does not mean you have to go to seminary to know what theology is, okay? That's really important too. Okay, now that I'm off my high horse, are you guys ready? Great. So there was a woman and she was making Thanksgiving dinner and she had a ham, because this is a ham family, and she cut off the butt and she cut off the head and then she put it in the oven and made it. Fine. Next year, next Thanksgiving, cuts off the butt, cuts off the head, sticks it in the oven. Husband's like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. She's cutting off the best parts of this ham. It's a little infuriating, but I'm not going to say anything. Third year, she cuts off the butt, she cuts off the head, and she sticks it in the oven. And finally, the husband goes, why are you cutting off the best parts of the ham? I got to know. She said, you know, I don't know. My mom always did it that way. Okay, fine. So a couple weeks pass by. They go over to mom's house. Hey, listen, let me ask you a question, says the husband. Why are you cutting off the butt and the head of the ham when you cook it? Why did you teach my wife to do that? Those are the best parts of the ham. And she said, you know, I don't know. I do it because that's what my mom did. So a couple weeks later, they go to grandma's house. And he's not as aggressive with grandma as he was with mom, okay? Because <laughs> it's grandma. Grandma, you're so nice. Um, let me ask you a question. What's with cutting off the butt and the head of the ham? And she said, oh, my pans were too small to put the whole ham in. So I'd cut off the butt and I'd cut off the ham. Okay, we do the same thing with theology and doctrine. We don't ask why. We just accept it because that's what grandma said. That's what mom said. That's what dad said. And it just trickles down through the generations. And I'm going to tell you guys something. And this is going to be very extreme, so bear with me. But that's the way cults get started. Okay? We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. That is so important. So what is theology? I am a participation type of gal, so someone shout it out. If you don't, it's okay. I have a definition, but let's see who's bold in here. The study of God. Theology. It's literally the study of God. However, we don't always use it that way, right? We use theology as like an umbrella statement of studying our doctrine and what we believe within the confines of our church, um, church capital C, like the whole church, God's bride, God's bride church. Why is it important? Okay. Oh, this is so good. I'm so excited about this. How many of you are familiar with New Age? A handful? Let me tell you how this is creeping into our church without us understanding it. Have you guys ever heard of, oh, don't speak that into existence? I'm going to manifest this. That's called the law of attraction. It's New Age. There's nothing biblical about it, and we need to cut that head off. Now, do it in love. Don't be hateful. <laughs> don't be hateful. Don't scare people. But without good theology, we don't, how are you going to know that that's not acceptable? I was reading up on some statistics because I'm a stats girl. Do I have any other stats folks in here? One, two, okay. I was like, come on guys, give me something. All right, listen to this. 42% of Christians now, I, I think visuals are important, okay? So I'm going to ask a couple of you to stand for me, okay? Let's do you three, you three, that's six, and you four, two back rows, because you have a laptop. <laughs> Can you guys stand for me? All you have to do is stand, that's all. Yeah, and you two. Okay. Yes. Two, four, six, eight, ten. This is ten people, okay? Out of ten people surveyed, 42% believe this. So I need four of you to sit. You four sit. Sit. There you go. This many people who are Christians believe that spiritual energy can be in physical things. Christians. I mean, you'd be astounded by the percentage who aren't Christians. And these aren't like crazy Christians. These are Protestant evangelical Christians. Okay. Remember the 10 who I had up? These four sat down because 41% believe in psychics. Again, evangelical Protestant Christians. Um, 
The Bible in Ecclesiastes 8, 7, which I have marked, so I'm going to, you guys got to stand just a minute longer because I got a couple more statistics, but I got to read the Bible because I'm a Christian. Don't sword drill me, guys, okay? Thanks for laughing. (laughs) There we go. Oh, okay. Um, Ecclesiastes 8, 7 literally says, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? The Bible literally tells us people do not know the future. But 41% of Christians believe in psychics. 33%. Can you sit? That many believe in reincarnation. And then finally, 29%, so we'll keep this, these are the Christians who believe good, believe in astrology. Okay, you guys can sit now. Thank you. 29% believe in astrology. Okay, why is this bad? Well, I think that's very obvious. These things are not God. These things are not of God. These things are not biblical. But with bad theology or with no theology, we are more susceptible to gravitating towards those ideas because it's what's popular in our culture. In addition to that, why is theology important? You guys ready to stand up again for me? Oh, yeah. Okay, can I have my 10 stand up? Okay. Out of these 10 people surveyed who are Christians, are you ready for this? Um, These are kids. We're going to pretend like these are teenagers, okay? 71%, so I'm going to have seven of you sit. Let's do you guys because you stood up a lot, and then you stood up for me, so why don't you sit? That many go to their moms, their moms, for questions about the Bible. That means this many goes to the dad. I love men. I am not saying anything bad about men. I'm just giving you stats on how many are going to mamas. 72%, and we'll stay with the seven who just sat down, go to their, their moms about questions on faith. Okay, 70%, same amount that sat down, go to their moms with questions about God. Oh, sorry, 79% go to church because their moms encourage them to do it. That many. And finally, 72% go to their moms with questions about religious tradition. Okay, you can sit down. Thank you. Can I get a round of applause for my 10? (laughs) I'm just going to throw something out there. If 7 out of 10 are affected by their mother and we have no theology or bad theology, what does that say about the future of the church? Who is shaping the future of the church? We are. And this, I don't think, is limited to just mothers. I'm a stepmom, but I don't, I don't have children of my own. And my stepson was raised basically when I got married. But I do have a niece, and she asks me Bible questions all the time. I'm a godmother, and their parents actually send them to me for Bible questions. Women are an integral part, and I'll dare say it, sorry, sir, but I'll dare say it, We are the most important theologians in the church because we are shaping the future of the church. That doesn't mean there's no place for men. It's just I want you guys to realize how important it is that we know what we believe and why we believe it. Mm -hmm. And can I just make a little note just to kind of lighten the mood for a second? Let me, women are really integral part of Christianity, right? Like Jesus had 12 men best friends and only one of them shows up to the crucifixion, but who was there? The women. Who funded Jesus' ministry? Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there to remind you how important we are to the Christian faith. Again, I am not trying to negate men. I am not saying anything bad. I think they're important. And as Cher would say, I think men are the coolest. I do. I love them. But I want you guys to really grasp how important this is. So, how do we get good theology? Anybody want to guess? I don't know, that Bible study I went to, <laughs> terrible theology. I'm totally kidding. Bible studies are huge. Um, Michelle, you teach a Bible study, right? There you go. No, Bible studies are great, but I think we need to know theology so that way we're able to communicate and converse about that. So let's go to this. Um, the first way to know good theology is studying it. 
So what kind of resources should women use to study theology? Are you guys ready for this? The same as men. Um, but yes, you were right because you said the Bible. Um, start with the Bible, absolutely, because who cares what man says about God if we don't know what God says about God? I was going to do this a little bit later, but I think this is a good time. Um, I want you guys, um, no, I'll save that for later. I'll come to it later. Put it in order for a reason. So, studying scripture, number one. Number two, using resources from people who know it, who can teach it to us. Again, what kind of resources do we use? Same as the men. So ask your pastor what he's using. Use systematic theologies that are out there. There's a bajillion of them. Use the Renew systematic theology that they just printed. Um, go to thebullmovement.com. Shameless plug. <laughs> We've got all kinds of stuff for systematic theology. Uh, number two, um, or I guess it's three, discipleship. Find a mentor. Um, that's huge. Find a coach. Find a mentor. Titus 2. I'm going to read it to you. You guys know it by heart, I'm sure, because it's one of those things that's harp, not harped on because it's the scripture, but um, Titus 2, um, starting in verse, thank you. She's got it. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, and she says likewise, or he says likewise, because they were talking about men before. Older women, one more note. Older is not talking about age here. The Greek word for older here is talking about spiritual maturity, okay? So people who are spiritually mature, who have been Christians for longer and have worked at this, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Ooh, I love it. It's a challenge. That the word of God may be reviled. Find a mentor. Find some resources. Read your Bible. And lastly, through songs. Isn't that fascinating? Scripture even tells us this, so let's go to Colossians. You know, I, I really don't like it when people jump around in their Bible, and I'm doing the one thing that I'm always like, don't jump around in the Bible when you're teaching, but we're going to do it. Because that's a quick way to get out of context, you know? Um, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Listen to this singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God, teaching and admonishing one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is your worship music saying in the lyrics? Because that's how you're going to remember it. There was a woman named Jen Wilkin. Anyone in here familiar with Jen Wilkin? She wrote an article for Christianity Today, and she said, James 3.1 warns, warns that not many of us should become teachers because those who teach are judged more strictly. I memorized that verse in the old version of the NIV as not many of you should presume to be teachers. It's dangerous to presume to teach. It is equally dangerous to presume that the music we sing in our service is not teaching. By Wednesday, the pastor's three sermon points are forgotten, but the chorus of the worship song is still being hummed, its message repeating in our brains. There is psychology that shows we remember what is sung in song more than what's made in conversation. And the same goes for stories. Just as I did here, trying to find my book. I was singing the books of the Bible so that I could find it. I sing the Ten Commandments. That's how we remember. So make sure when you are doing your worship, you are making sure that the lyrics are sound doctrinally. Okay? Okay. I think we should work through a theology so we can know how to do it. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah are we excited? Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Christology. How about that? Does anyone know what Christology is? The study, of the study of Christ. Good. So we have theology, which we're going to use because define your term, because everyone does not use the same term the same way. Okay? That's really important. So let's define our terms. When we talk about theology, we're talking about like our entire doctrine. Okay, what we believe as a whole, as a church. So under this umbrella 
of theology, we're going to talk about Christology. Um, so where do we start when we're doing theology? Bible. Bible. What I want you guys to do, even if you have a Bible, I want you to do it with me, okay? I want you guys to close your eyes so that you're not distracted as I'm reading these passages about who Christ is, okay? And I want you to close your eyes. We're going to start with Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and I want you to make mental notes about what stands out, okay? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to find things that stand out. Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You can open your eyes. Tell me the things that stood about stood out about who Christ was in that passage. He what? Okay, emptied. Let me ask you a question. Let's just stop for a second. Death on a cross, and that says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Anybody have any idea why that was so humbling? It was for criminals, and the Old Testament says it was a curse. Curse slash for criminals. Okay, close your eyes again. Let's read another passage. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm going to read that again because that was a big one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he has borne all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Tell me some things that stood out about who Jesus is. Fullness of God. I want to point something out in this passage. Um, I think it's overlooked, but I think it's fascinating. It says, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about that. In him all things hold together. He's the glue. Which means, I really want you to think about this. If Christ stops thinking about you, you cease to exist. You are held together because of him. And that has helped me at some very low points. The fact that I exist means that not only is Christ thinking about me, but he still has a purpose for me. He still has a mission for me. There's still something that I can do to glorify him and bring others into his kingdom. I've got one more. Hebrews 1, 1 through 14. So go ahead and close your eyes for me. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact 
imprint of his nature. And he holds the universe by the word of his power. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited and more excellent than theirs. Let me do that one more time. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What are things that stood out to you in that? All right. Majesty? Okay, with those, which there's a million passages about Christ. Those are just some that I pulled out. With those, I'm going to tell you of some heresies, and I want you to use Scripture to tell me whether, well, obviously it's not okay, but I want you to prove with Scripture why. And this is teaching you how you can differentiate good theology versus bad theology, okay? The first one, oh, heresy, because I never assume anything when I teach. Heresy is a belief that is against orthodoxy. And orthodoxy is like the common belief of what everyone believes, right? It's been this way for 2,000 years because early church fathers were uh, present and then we had the original writers of scripture. So anything that contradicts scripture is heresy. Anything that contradicts scripture is heresy. I'm sorry, guys. Heresy is not theology that you don't like. I've heard a lot of people like, Calvinism's heresy. I'm like, no, you just don't like it, (laughs) you know. Um, So there's a couple of things like that. So, okay. The first one is adoptionism. Is anyone familiar with adoptionism? Good. Then you're going to actually learn today. Adoptionism is a heresy that says that Jesus came as man, was born as man, and at his baptism was adopted by God. That's where he got his divinity, okay? Why is that wrong? And you can pull other scripture, not just here, but why why is that a heresy? How do we know that's a heresy? How do we know that's not true? Well, he's the firstborn of all creation. He was there from the beginning. John 1 1. So let's go uh, Genesis 1 1. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God in Hebrew, Elohim. Elohim is plural. It's talking about God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there. That is confirmed. I'm one of those let scripture interpret scripture. That is confirmed in John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh. So what is the word? Or should I say, who is the word? (laughs) Jesus. Word in Greek is logos. Logos is an idea. It's it's not like a literal word. A literal word is rima. Let me get really Greeky and geeky on you, okay? I've heard a lot of people talk about logos as if it meant scripture. No. (laughs) Logos is almost in Greek like saying thing. Okay, like there was this thing, this huge concept, and it was God. Okay, so we absolutely know that this is heresy. Sorry, suckas, you're done. I was by some leather merchant back in the good old days. How about Arianism? Anybody know anything about Arianism? So Arianism is that Jesus has divine name as a courtesy. It's almost like he's, he's associated with these divine principles and names, but it's almost as like a hot tip. What's, what's wrong with that? How do you know? Where? John 1, the word was God. <laughs> it literally says Jesus is God. Good. So this is absolutely a heresy. Okay, how about, oh gosh, Bianitism. I can't even say it. I have a master's degree in theology, and I don't even know how to say this. So if you guys can say it, correct me. Beatism. It's a heresy, so I don't pay attention to it. This is the idea that 
Jesus was not God. He just had very charismatic gifts. Again, what's wrong with that? He is God. Okay. So basically, we've got this whole heresy thing down. We know how to find things that are wrong and how to find things that are right, right? So knowing these things and these principles, let's talk about who Christ is because we know what he's not. Give me characteristics of God or Jesus. Jesus is definitely man and God. But tell me the percentages here. 100% each. <laughs> I am so proud of you guys. He's 100% man, 100% God. How does that work? Because 100 plus 100 equals 200. How does that work? Supernatural. <laughs> I really thought I was going to like stump you guys. That was a duh. Okay, cool. What else do we know about Jesus? He's sinless. Grace and truth. He's the person of the Trinity. And then, just to speed things up, <laughs> he's all of those things. Okay? So do you guys see how I think sometimes... Theology can be intimidating, but do you see how easy you guys just did that? Right? Yes. So you said that he's a person of the Trinity, and not that I don't believe this, but there's nothing in the word that says Trinity. You're right, but conceptionally it is there. So, okay. With Elohim. And well, sure, with Elohim, but also um, in... There you go. <laughs> well, Matthew 28. There's different places in Scripture that it talks about the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus all as God. So conceptually it is there. We use the term Trinity so that when I say Trinity, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Same thing with theology. When I say Christology, you guys know I'm talking about the study of Christ. So it's really a simplification for us. I was just saying that because I'm... You know, I'm doing Bible study with someone who comes from a Mormon background. Sure. And they don't believe in the Trinity. And so that's something that we're setting out. But I just wanted to share that, you know, we'll have to face things like this when mm -hmm. we are trying to impart the word to other people, right? John 1, that's the best place. And sometimes they'll tell you, uh, I think Jehovah's Witnesses are really big on, well, that's an article. It's that uh, he was a god. And you can tell them that I talked to someone who studies Greek, and that is not, there's no article there. That's a lie. Okay? I'm telling you, that's not what it says. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, the, these other examples of heresy, yeah. people subscribe to these and then they're challenged by other Christians. I would expect that they try to use scripture mm -hmm. to support their argument. So, like, the, the third one, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, where Jesus is not God, he's just very charismatic. Right. Where are they going to, do you suspect, or where is your experience in, in okay, if, if that's my opinion, and I have some scripture that I've pulled out of context, but where would they go to pull, I mean, how did these things come about in the first place? Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So the problem with, uh, we call it Bible ping pong. That's what my husband and I call it. I don't know where he got it, but that's what we call it. Bible ping pong is where you take a verse to prove your point, which is a serve, and then they have a verse to prove their point, and it's a serve, and you're constantly playing Bible ping pong. Stop right there and just focus on what passage they're using. And you're going to say, okay, we're not just going to use this verse or this passage. We're going to use the whole context of everything. Start from the beginning. What is this talking about? Who is the audience for this? So like the prodigal son, right? You have everyone focuses on the son who runs away. And yes, that's absolutely part of the parable, but they're missing the other part, which is that the brother, the older brother, is being a not kind person. And when you look at the context, who is Jesus talking to? It wasn't just sinners, but it was also Pharisees and uh, scribes. So we have to make sure we're, okay, you can take that. Well, I wanna know who is he talking to? What's going on? What's the context? Because it's so easy to make scripture say what you want it to say. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. 
Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Recap, theology is important. The future of the church is at stake because women need to know theology. When I speak, the last thing that I like to do is uh, express the gospel, is to tell you the gospel. Because whether you're a Christian or not, we need to say it to ourselves every single day. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've never been able (laughs) to explain the gospel without crying. (laughs) And I can't stand when women get emotional when they're teaching. I'm like, we've got, you know, come on, get it together, sis. But this is just so... (laughs) incredible, the gift that God gave us. So bear with me when I start tearing up, don't laugh or roll your eyes, okay? Okay. So in the beginning, God created everything and he saw that it was good. And he gave us a choice. And man chose, instead of wanting to be like God, to being wanting to be God. And that's what we do every time we sin. We tell God, even though you know what's best, I'm going to be my own God because I think I know better. And we were created in the image and likeness of God. With his very breath, animals were simply spoken into existence. Plants were spoken into existence. The world was spoken into existence, but we have the breath of God in us. So as we sinned, what is the, uh, what is the uh, punishment for treason? Death. And it is treason because it's against a pure and holy and perfect God. Something has to die in our place. So what they did is we made sacrifices of animals. But animals do not hold the value, worth, and dignity that humans hold because they do not have the breath of God. They're not created in His image and likeness. They're simply spoken into existence. So God humbled Himself and came from His glory high place to earth and lived a very humble and humiliating life as a man, never sinning once despite the fact that the Bible tells us He was tempted in every single way possible. And then he had 12 best friends who were disciples. And the night before he was betrayed, he was eating supper with them, which is why we do communion, to remember what Christ did for us. And he was betrayed by his friend with a kiss. And they took him, and he was put before Pontius Pilate, where he was ordered to be whipped. Now let me explain something to you. When people are whipped, they would have a cat of nine tails, which is a leather whip that often had bones and rocks stuck into it, so that when they would whip someone, it would rip off the skin from their back, exposing vital organs and tissue and muscle. Typically, people would die from hemorrhaging after the whippings, especially as many lashes as Jesus got. But he lived, and then they had him carry his own cross a cross that was meant for a criminal. And crosses were frequently reused because Romans do not waste money on criminals. And so when I say these crosses were reused, these are crosses that people have died, bled, and oftentimes the Romans would put little knobs in the cross so that you would lose control of your bowels and all over the cross. So as Jesus carries his cross up and he's hanging on the cross, ooh, And as my God is hanging on this cross that was used to kill people who deserved it, they put nails in his wrist and in his feet, not because that's what they did, because oftentimes they would just tie them, but to add extra punishment and to mock him. And they cast lots for his robe, and they put a crown on his head, not because they thought he was king, but because they were mocking my God. And as he hung on the cross, every time that he wanted to speak or breathe, he had to pull himself up with his exposed back on that dirty cross. And he hung there for six hours to save two people. One of the Roman soldiers who was part of his murder and one of the guys who were behind him on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. And as we read in Colossians, the whole time he's on the cross, he's thinking about us. 
every sin we've ever committed, every sin we are currently committing, every sin that we will ever commit is forgiven because Jesus can't stand the thought of living in eternity without you. He said, those animals won't do it, but I'm not letting my girl go. I am dying on the cross in her place. And now when God sees you after you accept Christ, all he sees is the perfection of what Jesus Christ lived and the death and payment of our sins, atoning them once and for all. He was buried and rose again on the third day, conquering sin, the grave, anxiety, depression, any ailment, anything that this world has to offer. He conquered it because he is God. He ascended where he sits at the right hand and at final judgment, I get to put on his identity and that's all that God sees. So if you're not a Christian, which I'm, I'm making no assumptions, I want to invite you to come and have that conversation because we serve a God who is so powerful, created everything, but wants you. And if you are a Christian, we have to tell this lost and dying world about this God. Amen. And we've got to do it with good theology, mm-hmm. communicating who he told us he was, mm-hmm. not who the world told us he was. Mm-hmm. Questions? questions? Yes. Can you um, give us some suggestions on how to practically take this home and put it into practice? Absolutely. So um, if you have kids, that's going to be a huge place. There are resources that you can use that will help you teach and train theology within your home. Theology is something that you are going to use. It is very practical. It's how you talk about God. It's how you talk about Scripture. It's how you talk about Christ. I mean, it's literally every aspect of our faith. So practically speaking, are you talking about learning it or teaching it? Yeah, so you're just going to, every conversation you have, you're already doing it. You're already talking about theology. Your question was, how do we practically use theology in day-to-day? Well, how how would I go back to my church and take this and multiply it in my church? Relationships, discipleship, conversations. That's it. I don't, I don't think that there's like a secret one, two, three step. I think it's just doing life and just starting the conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish there was like a five steps to implementing theology, you know. Do you think that, um, do you think that why people, especially younger generation, have walked away is because they feel that, you know, Christ knew these people around him. He, he, I'm, I'm way, way down the road. So why would he... I mean, I'm just kind of... I mean, I don't feel that way, obviously. But I'm just wondering if that is kind of the a break in why people... Younger generation don't feel that Jesus is relevant. Because that was then, this is now, and how can a save... How could one man atone for me that long ago and carry it through the rest of why do I think younger people don't think God is relevant? Um, well, first of all, I think because we quit teaching God in home. I think we've depended on the church to train our children who God is. And you go to church 52 weeks a year, and you're skipping probably 20 of those to go play sports. Yeah. I have three children ages 20 through 27. I have not done a good job of raising them. They've had the knowledge, but they did not have the experience because I had not gotten to a place where I had allowed Jesus to transform my healing into behavior. I have a new daughter-in-law who accepted Christ last week mm-hmm. on, my exper- on my demonstration of Jesus in my living out. She came to me, and God came to her. I had a spiritual conversation with my eldest, 27-year-old son, yesterday, for the first time about prayer. It is about the transformation that we allow this knowledge and this theology to affect our lives and who we are. That is what these young people are looking for. It doesn't matter what we know. It matters what we walk. Hmm. And I have a long way to go, but I'm so grateful that God is redeeming my children through my healing, not through my knowledge. Amen. You are so correct. And, I, and I, it's, the, it's also the Jesus that you know. 
Yeah. You know, that because I think so much the time, and I'm sorry to jump in, but this is jump in, please. Um, <laughs> we've been we've been raised, or our children have been raised with a Jesus that is not the Bible. Mm-hmm. It is True. not. It is this prosperity Jesus that is yeah. a magic genie, um, and he just gives you what you want if you're good, or if you're not. Right, and they and they see through it. They they see through the the um, flawed version in that. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things that, that I have a 22-year-old daughter and a 20-year-old son, and one of the biggest things that I did with my daughter was just go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is to the issue that you've got, like when she was trying to find a college. I'm like, but I know that I need to fast and pray about it, so let's do that. Yeah. And we're going to fast every week for a day every week, and we were going to pray about it until God tells us where you're supposed to go. And that's what we did, and it took like seven months. It was a long time for us to be able to go. And I know in the big scheme of things, that's not a long time, but it is for your senior in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when she had a plan to know by October where she was going to go. And, but it was that walking out the faith and to be able to go, Scripture tells me to fast and pray when I don't know. Amen. And so that's all I know to do. So let's do it, you know, and do it together. Yeah, that's don't, don't be afraid of theology questions, that's another thing. I think sometimes our kids ask us hard questions and we will avoid it or skirt around it. Instead, she's right, say, I don't know, but I'm gonna find you an answer and find the answer. Don't leave them hanging. That's yeah. so important to follow up. Yes. Yeah, I just think it's real. I just would like you to kind of speak into, obviously, um, we're talking about discipleship this week. This week, And um, you've just done a great job of laying a foundation of for ourselves, right? Like, we have to know theology in order to be able to disciple others in theology. So where do you start with that? Like, for you, um, and I know... Obviously, we want to start in God's Word, but what resource are you suggesting for those of us who, okay, we believe in God, we, our theology is pretty strong, right? And I want and I want to take this to a group of women who want to start a women's Bible, right? Ever, right? And so, what resource are you saying? Okay, this you can put in your hand. We know the theology is good. We know that you can do this in small groups to disciple, and that's the and I'm, as that kind of takeaway for all of us that want to walk out of here with this probably isn't going to satisfy you because <laughs> I, I think you're looking for like a book. But the thing, my big thing that I push and push and push is a good study Bible because the study notes are really helpful, especially to people who are new to um, scripture. And so um, depending on what you like, I like the ESV study Bible. It does have kind of more reformed views. So if you're against that, I like the NLT study Bible. Um, I also like the NIV study Bible. Uh the one that was edited by D.A. Carson is really good. Um, so there's three study Bibles that I think, and the Holman's Christian Standard Bible has a good study Bible as well. I think study Bibles are just the, I think that's it. One of the other yeah. things that, that I ordered all of her studies that she's done. If you do an in-depth study, like one of the ones that she's got a couple different words, and I forget which the books are that you got, but but it's studying a a, a book of the Bible mm-hmm. and it's walking you through it and the beauty of it is is once you've done that in a really in-depth way you can apply that to another book absolutely so um so I would encourage you to get some of the in-depth you know Bible studies she's got you've got three of them right um I have like five now five of them. I know yeah. I know it's crazy yeah. yeah and so bold movement and we've got a clipboard in the back if you want more information just put your contact information there and just put in the comments um Megan and then I'll get you her I'll get your. I'll get you all together. Okay. Yes. I just wanted to share um, that I think that it just starts small. You know, someone asked, "What are some practicals that we can do if we want to teach people in our churches?" I think gathering a small group and figuring out, like, letting it be open to God to show you who is open to doing it with you. And mm-hmm. if you don't feel confident, it's just saying, "Let's do this together," because I think that. Just taking the step of actually getting together and reading the scriptures and looking if we need to go to the blue letter Bible that helps you to know what the Greek and the Hebrew are. Yeah. You do it together, then you encourage one another, and then it becomes like a fire. You know, like Jeremiah is like, the word is like a fire in my soul. I love that Megan is so passionate about the gospel. And I think that when we're passionate, that will translate to the people that are in our lives that we're spending time with that we influence without even knowing that we influence them. And, and I think the other thing that strikes me is that we need to know the word in order to share the word, right? Mm-hmm. So 
just for me, I love the word. I love, I love this study. It makes me secure in who God made me to be and what the plan that he has for me. So I just wanted to share that. Like, start small. Just say, anybody, you know, anybody want to join me on, on a Tuesday morning or whenever your schedule allows or Saturday morning to, to look at scriptures together so that we can strengthen our faith in the word. I think that that's something very practical. I have a professor who always says, start in John and just read it with them. Yeah. And like every time it talks about, wouldn't you like to have a friend like Jesus? Yeah. And just like continuing to show. Yes. So the question is, how do I prove that there is a God without using scripture? Um, so this is actually uh, starting the conversation. One of the big, uh, this is apologetics, reading apologetics. There's the teleological argument, which is like the uh, design argument. It's too intricate. But I love, I love, especially with college students, to use Einstein. So Einstein has this theory that uh, the universe is expanding. And if something's expanding, it had to have a starting point. And the same thing with time and matter. So space is expanding. Matter, everything that we have, we know, has a beginning. It has a creation. And even time, because time is continuing on, it had to have a beginning. So time, space, and matter had to have a beginning because they were created. And they were created because they had a beginning. If something's created, the thing that created that cannot be bound by those three things. We call the thing that created those three things God. And we believe that God came to earth as Jesus. And I always start with things that they're familiar with and they know. And I'm like, you see how it's very obvious that there's a God. Science is in favor of God. It does not disprove him. Yeah, very very quickly, a couple more. Yes. Um, I just... I have a, really have a heart for women mentoring and discipling other women. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think of, in terms of older women mentoring younger women, mm -hmm. be on the lookout. I'm hoping to disciple my mother, who is 81 years old. Mm -hmm. So be on the lookout for not just age, but people who are spiritually immature. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a lot of them in older categories as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's important to just be on the lookout and pray for those women, pray for the people who God wants you to disciple. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to share a little quote that's in my study Bible from an author, Susan Hunt who said, it is interesting that of all the ways Paul could have told the women to combat the decadence of their culture, he told them to invest their energies in training the younger women to live Christianly in society. I just think that's huge. Absolutely. Thank you, Megan. Yeah. Up next, we've got another episode from Renew.org Women, so make sure you click subscribe to be in the know for the next release date. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you have a great day.